If you have your Bibles, we're in James chapter 2. James chapter 2, beginning with the 14th verse. Real faith means real works. As we look at that, I want to clarify something from last week. Last week, we, I mentioned four words, and I told you it was risky for me to share much about those because people typically uh, will misinterpret and misunderstand. And one of those words, restoration, that I want to just affirm, I in no way was saying or communicating that uh, you should not try to be restored uh, to your spouse or to any relationship that's broken. So and if you heard that, I, I, I did a poor job communicating, uh, or you did a poor job of interpreting, or both. Okay, so just want to make sure we're all on the same page. Uh, now I want to give you uh, two other uh, understandings. As we look at this text here, James is going to be speaking a lot about deeds and works. And for most people in their faith, we tend to gravitate toward one extreme or the other. Some of us may gravitate toward this end, and we may say, you know, I just really want to do a lot of good deeds and a lot of good words, work so God will love me, and so at the end of the day, I'll have enough good deeds to try to get myself into heaven. Matter of fact, we know typically faith is just doing a lot of stuff, a lot of good deeds. And I, too, I remember believing that as a child and as a teenager, and I was hoping that I'd be able to do enough good things that one day I would get into heaven. And that's one extreme. Another extreme is this. You know, I believe in that body of facts. As a matter of fact, that confession that we recited, that God uh, is the God of the universe, and that Jesus is the Savior, I believe those facts. And I'm counting on that to just take me to heaven. And that's it. I don't see that I really need to do any deeds. I don't see there's anything else left. Uh, I acknowledge this, and I have a mental understanding, and I believe that to be true. And that's it. Those are the two extremes people typically will find themselves in. And Paul addresses those who find themselves in the legalism stage of just trying to do a lot of stuff, trying to keep the law, and trying to earn their righteousness. And Paul very seriously and very precisely deals with that issue. And then James is dealing with those who are lax in their faith. They have acknowledged Christ and they maybe even call themselves believers, but they believe that's the end of it. And basically, I can do what I want. I'm under grace. I've received it. And so I'm saved by grace, saved by faith. I'm all done. There's nothing left for me to do. I can basically do what I want or not do anything that I want. Those are the two extremes. James is dealing with those who have come to the place where they mentally recognize, maybe even have truly professed Christ, but they've let it in there. So with that understanding, I want us to dive in to this text. And I also want us to just, in just a moment, to recognize the difference between Paul and James. If you have your Bibles, let's read the first part here in James chapter 2. What good does it do, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe there is one God, good. Even the de demons believe that and shudder. 
Now, let me give you the key verse. Let me give you the whole thesis of the book of James. It's found in James 2.17. So we've just read that. Let me read it again. If James was to only recite one verse, I believe this would be the verse he would use. The whole book is built around this verse. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Now remember, James is talking primarily to the believer. We see that in the very first statement. What good is it, my brothers? Now let's read another text, because some would say, I get confused when I read Paul and then I read James. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Romans, probably one of the greatest books of doctrine that we have. I want to read Romans 3. In the interest of time, I won't read this whole passage. But I want to read beginning with verse 19. Paul, we will see, is primarily dealing with the issue of doctrine. James is dealing with the issue of practice. In Romans 3, chapter 19. Now we know that whatever the law says... It says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we will become conscious of sin. So, one of the primary purposes of the law is for us to be conscious of sin. Now, let's skip down just a little bit and let's go to verse 27, chapter 3. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law. <clears throat> no, but on that of faith. For we, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Okay? So Paul lets us very clearly see that salvation is not granted upon our works. It is an act of God that has been done for us on our behalf. We receive the grace and the forgiveness of the cross and the blood of Jesus that is applied to our sinful account that covers us. But how do we, how do we bring that into harmony with what James is saying? Well, let me give us some basic understanding. First of all, Paul is dealing with the root of salvation. What does it mean to know Christ and to receive His forgiveness? What does that mean? The initial understanding. He's dealing with the theology of faith, of grace. We know that from Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Matter of fact, if you have your Bibles, let's turn one last place to that. It'll help us understand and kind of merge these two thoughts together. Ephesians 2, 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast. And then Paul says, the same Paul who we just read Romans chapter 3 from, says, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So Paul is dealing with the root. James is dealing with the fruit. Paul is saying, this is what you must do to receive the grace and the forgiveness. It's been provided for you by Christ. It's been done for you. James is saying, now, once you've received it, this is what you should do. This should be the manifestation of that faith. 
Paul is looking from God's perspective and he's looking down. This is what God has done for you. James is looking from man's perspective. God, this is what I want. This is how I want to worship you. This is how I want to be obedient to you. Paul is instructing. He's giving teaching doctrine. James is exhorting people how to practically live. <clears throat> now, when I was in ninth grade in Louisiana, back then when you were 15, you could get your driver's license. So my parents let me get my driver's license when I was 15 years old. The only problem was is they wouldn't let me drive. Uh, they let me get the license, but they, wouldn't, they didn't give me insurance. I didn't have a car, and they wouldn't let me use theirs. So technically, I could say, hey, I'm a driver. But the truth was, I wasn't really a driver because I didn't drive. I just had the ability. I just had the legal opportunity to drive. But unless you drive a car, it doesn't matter. Now, my, they would let me drive the tractor in the back, but that was terrible for picking up girls, I tell you. Now, I couldn't get any girls to go, hey, I'll come by and pick you up on my tractor if you don't live more than two miles, two miles away and you don't mind the diesel smell. And so I couldn't drive anything but a tractor. So just because I had that information and just because I was legally able to, it did not make me officially a driver because I was not allowed to drive my parents' car or any other car. See, when we look from Paul's perspective and we notice, hey, here's the doctrine, here's the opportunity, let me tell you what's occurring. James is saying, hey, once you've received this, let's begin to drive. All right? It's not just that you've received it and you understand it. Now you need to get in the car and begin to drive. Now let's read this text, and we're going to notice three different types of faith. First of all, James will, will clarify what it means to have dead faith. Basically, faith that means nothing. It's not a real faith at all. Number two, demon faith. Hey, that ought to get your attention right there. Demon faith. We'll talk about what that is in just a moment. The Scripture clearly gives us uh, an understanding. And then third, we'll look at what real faith is. You notice today we live in a world where everybody's after the real thing. I want real Coke. I want real Dr. Pepper. I don't want Dr. Skipper. Okay? Uh, we are not drawn to the offbeats. We want the real thing. And so that's what James, in essence, is talking about. The real thing. What does the real thing look like? And James describes it to us. He's speaking here. And we see in verse 14, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? We see James giving three rhetorical questions right here. And the first one, he says, What good is it, my brothers? He's talking about those in the fellowship of believers. If a man has faith, but he has no deeds, no fruit, there's no evidence that anything has ever transformed. He says, I acknowledge this group of facts, but there's never been any transformation. There's never been any evidence that anything has ever changed in his life. Can such faith save him? Can that kind of faith, that mental acknowledgement of the facts, save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing for his physical needs, what good is it? James is using a Hebrew idiom here, and that was a fairly common expression. We'll say something like, Well, y'all, have a good night and take care of yourself now. They're using an expression here that would have been used frequently and really almost as a blessing within the church. Go and be warm and be filled. Take care of yourself. God bless you. 
Someone comes, and particularly somebody within the body of Christ or someone in your neighborhood, they come, somebody that's right there in the middle of your sphere, somebody that you know, and particularly he's talking about brothers and sisters in Christ, somebody that you know, and they come, and, and the Scripture and the, the text and the way that it's written in the text, we realize that it's not a one-time thing. It's, it's somebody's coming, and they're in serious need. Like they are needing food on a, on a regular basis. They have really been put out. They're needing clothing. They're needing a a serious amount. So it's not just a token. Here's a dollar. Here's a can of food. Go away. He's saying, really help them. He says, and you say, you know what, brother? I'll pray for you. God bless you. Hang in there. That's the modern picture. That's what it looks like today. James is saying, how can we say that our faith makes any difference if we simply say, I'll pray for you and we do nothing with it? It's like Oswald Chambers He defines faith in this manner. Faith is this. It's doing everything you honestly and ethically can and trusting the rest of God. What you cannot do, God will take care of. But what is it that we can do? James is saying this is what real faith is. And if it simply becomes an expression or some words that we articulate, if it simply becomes a feeling that we have, then we have missed the principle of, and that is the fruit, the principal aspect of what real faith should produce, and that is the fruit of the faith. He moves on and he says, In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. You say, I, I want to pray for that person. My neighbor is really struggling right now, and they have some real needs. I'm going to pray for them. And that's a good place to start. But James says, if you do nothing, if you don't try to at least help them yourself or point them in a direction to where they can get help, get others to try to help, then your faith is dead. Don't tell them about a real and a loving God if that's the end of it. He's not calling us necessarily to always fix, but He is calling us to get involved. And He says, real faith, transformational faith, will not see serious needs that are right before us and simply brush them off and think that that is okay. Verse 18, But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Someone is saying here, Hey, look, you have the faith, I'll do the deeds. Or I'll do the deeds and you, you, you have the faith. And James again is saying, Show me your faith without deeds. Is there really such thing as faith without deeds? And I will show you my faith by what I do. I'll show you real faith. It will have some kind of evidence. It will show, it will demonstrate that there's something different in my life. Verse 19. You believe there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. This is probably a reference to the Shema. Now the Shema is found in Deuteronomy 6.4. And this is probably the most important verse to the Jewish people. They, if they were good Jews, they would recite that verse three times a day. And it's this. Shema means here. Hear, O hear, Israel, the Lord God is one. The Lord God is one. You know what that's saying? He's saying, we believe you to be the one true God. In a polyistic culture where the Jews were living at that time, where Moses had taken them from the Egyptian empire, in a polyistic a polyistic time where everybody around them worshipped multiple gods pretty much, he was calling and he was saying, look, there's one God, and that is Yahweh God. And here the Jews would probably acknowledge that and say, 
There is but one true God, Yahweh God. And, and James is saying, you make that statement? You think that's true? Hey, that's really good theology. But can I tell you, the demons have the same, same theology. They believe there is one true God. Do you think that simply acknowledging that fact makes you a believer in Christ? That that makes an impact? It's not simply acknowledging. It's not recognition. James makes that very clear. And then he says, let me show you some examples. So we've seen an example of dead faith, and then we see demon faith, which means I believe the right things, but what am I doing with them? And then we see real faith. He goes on and he gives us a picture of what real faith looks like. Verse 20, You foolish man, kinos is the word right there in the Greek, you empty man, do you not want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the offer? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the Scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You want me to give you an example? Let me go back to where our faith started. Let me go back to where uh, the Jewish nation began with our father Abraham. Abraham believed, and the Bible says that it was credited to him as righteousness. But then we see his deeds. We see how his righteousness, how his faith is acted out 25 years later when he takes his son to the altar. Sometimes we picture uh, Isaac as a little boy, but he, he was a man at this point. And he takes him to the altar, and it's a beautiful typology. A typology is this. It's a foreshadowing of the truth to come. So here's a typology. Here's a picture of what will happen in the future. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, will come, and He will give Himself, the Father will give Him as a sacrifice to cover for the sins of our lives. So we see this picture, this typology being given here. And the Bible says that His righteousness, we see here, produced works. It produced faith. It produced obedience. Here's a picture as James is describing. In verse 24, you see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Solo fide is what Luther said. Matter of fact, the Protestant Reformation occurs on that principle. And Luther struggled greatly with this book, we know, because he was trying to harmonize the works and the deeds. He'd come out of an environment where it was built on works and tradition. But now he finds himself recognizing the grace of God. And again, we all tend to gravitate to one side, don't we? We find ourselves gravitating over here to law or we find ourselves gravitating to works. And James says, hey, it's a two-headed coin. First, we receive the grace and the knowledge and the salvation and then it produces fruit. It produces work. And he gives another illustration here in verse 25. In the same way, you got Abraham, the father of the faith. Now we're going to go to the polar opposite. The same way was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did. And Joshua chapter 2 tells us the story of how Rahab 
who the Bible describes as a harlot. And we don't know why she was a harlot. It may have been that she was a single, single mom, that she lost her husband, and that's the only means she had. We, we don't know. But we know from chapter 2 that when uh, the, or the spies come in to Jericho and they look around, and the nation of Israel is coming against the nation of Jer- the city of Jericho. They look around. They are somehow discovered. And as they're leaving, Rahab hides them and tells the pursuers to go elsewhere. And so uh, because of this, we find out in, in uh, chapter 2, verse 11 of Joshua that Rahab had heard 20 years before how God had worked in the lives of of the uh, Israelites, how Yahweh God and how the hearts trembled and as they had heard the stories. And Rahab probably knew, hey, I've been worshiping these multiple gods, this polyistic uh, mentality of gods, and it's gotten me nowhere. I know it is meaningless. And God imparts faith to her in some manner. And when she hears of Yahweh God, she knows it to be true. And so when the spies come, she hides them. And then she, they tell her, here's what you'll need to do. We want you to take a red rope and leave it outside your, your window. As a matter of fact, we have good reason to believe that she was on the wall. That's typically where the poor were. It's not a great place to be when attacks come when you live on the wall, but that's where she is. And so she leaves a red rope or a red thread that comes out of her window. And you have to wonder, was that a, another picture of kind of the way that 40 years earlier... Um, when the Passover angel came, the death angel came, and the Jews were required to do what? <clears throat> to put a red string of blood upon their doors so that the angel would pass over. And so we see Rahab taking a step of faith with little knowledge. And what occurs? She is regarded as one of great faith, and her deeds are recognized. And in her, in the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So there's dead faith, there's demon faith, and there's real faith. Let's talk about real faith for just one moment as we conclude. What we recognize from this text is that real faith is more than something you say. You'll remember in Mark chapter 2 when the friends of the cripple brought their friend to Jesus. When they got to the house, it was so full they couldn't get in. And faith would have been that they showed up believing He could. But the deeds, the actions were they literally got on the roof and they dug through the roof. Faith and action. It's not just what you feel, that I feel some nice tingling as the demons, as they shudder, as they get goosebumps. It's not just about what we feel. It's not just about what we think that we believe, that we give intellectual assent to. Real faith is what you are. Let me give you an example of that. You've got Peter, who when asked if he is with Christ, he denies him. Does that mean that he didn't have real faith? No. Look at what happened. The Bible says that afterwards he went away and he wept bitterly. And then we see him repenting. We see him coming and becoming a pillar of the church. Let me tell you something, friend. Real faith doesn't mean you won't make mistakes. It doesn't mean that you won't lose it sometimes. It doesn't mean that you will always be the picture of Jesus. 
Real faith means this. It means that you won't quit and walk away from the faith. And if you stray, according to 1 John, God will convict you and bring you back. Or He'll take you at some point. So that's what real faith does. It produces fruit. Let me conclude with this little poem. I knelt in prayer when the day was done and prayed, Lord, bless everyone. Lift from each heart and pain and let the sick be well again. And then I woke again one day and carelessly went on my way. The whole day long I did not try to wipe a tear from an eye. I did not try to share the load of any brother on the road. I did not even go to see the sick man just next door to me. Yet once again, when every day was done, I prayed, Lord, bless everyone. But as I prayed to my ear came a voice that whispered, Dear, pause, hypocrite, before you pray. Whom have you tried to bless today? God's sweetest blessings always go by hands that serve Him here below. And then I hid my face and cried, Forgive me, Lord, for I have lied. Let me but live another day, and I will live the way I pray. Billy Graham said it best when he said, Faith and works are like breathing. They are not meant to be separated. They go together like inhaling and exhaling. Faith is taking the gospel in, and works is letting the gospel out. What about you today? Have you trusted Jesus Christ in His grace and forgiveness? Or have you simply made acknowledgement to a body of facts?